ready. Mm, all right, God. Let's do this greatest possible thing that can happen out of this. Let's have that happen. Um, all right. Here with Marilyn Hughes. Hi, Brian. Good to have you back. Good to be back with you, Brian. <laughs> awesome. Let's just jump right in. Let's do it. We're here for some spiritual warfare. Angels and demons. Mm. We don't need spiritual warfare right now, do we? Oh, no, never. <laughs> We're good. All right. Well, nice job. <laughs> why, why do you think it's important right now in our world that we're having this conversation about spiritual warfare? It's always important because we live in a fallen world. So it's always going on. But we are in kind of a unique time frame right now where the importance of discernment between good and evil has become even more necessary because uh, the irony being one of the biggest areas of discernment that people run into when they first start learning about spiritual warfare, which is everything's relative. Your truth is my truth. My truth is your truth. Your truth is fine. My truth is fine. All that stuff. It becomes now the big question before all of us, because is that really true? in the sense of eternal truth, not our own personal belief or opinion, but how does the universe actually think of it? How does the universe actually operate and work? Because the universe does not operate on our opinions. The universe operates on basic energetic laws. And that's why there is energetic truth and actual energetic law which determines the outcome of all interactions in a human physical world and in all worlds in the universe. And so we have all these lines being blurred about what's right, what's wrong, what's okay, what's not okay. And not only that, if anyone tries to do any type of discernment, they are just immediately turned into a judgmental racist, bigoted, or whatever type of person, rather than recognizing that there is a very deep and intrinsic part of our human person, our human destiny, to learn to properly discern good and evil, what is true from the false. And without that, we become confused, chaotic, messes. And so we change the nature of who we are by doing that. We've talked about in other videos, what I call the chaos realms. And these are the realms that I believe I've mentioned before, that many souls from the earth, when they cross over, end up going into these purgatorial realms, uh, various chaos. And that's what we're creating here. We're creating chaos here where there is absolutely no freedom to discern what is good and true from what is false and what is not true. So we don't know the energetic truth of the situation. Exactly. Exactly. We don't. And there is a difference between acknowledging what is true 
and being judgmental. There's a huge difference between those two actions. And there is an extremely important part of existence in this realm and as a soul in being able to identify what is true. This does not automatically infer that you then go on to judge or condemn. That's a completely different action. But to discern what is true is the first step and very important first step that all souls have to take in order to actually just simply map out their own path forward in this life, why they're here, where they're going, and what they're going to do, what's going to fall away because their ability to discern what is inferior, what is superior to that path that they're seeking. If you are seeking spiritual advancement and you're seeking towards moving closer to an all-holy God, then there are things that are inferior to that path. There are things that will push you away from that all-holy God. There are things that are superior that will push you further towards that all-holy God. These are all common sense things that we can all deduce fairly quickly. There's quite a few things that you said there that we're going to be addressing as we move forward. Okay. And going through the book, Spiritual Warfare, Angels and Demons. And then, so this is a good jumping off point too for you just to maybe explain what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is a lot of things, but we'll just give a simplistic answer, which is it's the, the beginning of it is that recognition of that which is inferior, that which is superior in the path of the soul going towards a unity, a union with the all holy God. But it is also spiritual warfare becomes more than this because we do actually end up battling good and evil inside of ourselves outside of ourselves in our physical lives on earth and this happens in the mystical spheres as well you know when they talk about fighting against principalities and powers of good and evil that's literal these exist so we have the principalities and powers which are the the, the principalities and powers in the angelic kingdom. We have principalities and powers in the demonic kingdom. And these are real battles that will occur for our souls. And the way that these things occur is that we have to come face to face with our own darkness, our own false views, the things that we are either doing, thinking, or feeling that may be at odds with the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is God. And so if we want to find the truth, that's the measure of the truth. God is the measure. What is God? God is love. So we know this also from the mystical experiences, from all the near-death experiencers, that's what God is. But what is love? Love is a transformative energy. It is a vibration, a frequency that lifts a soul up into a higher stratosphere, so to speak. Love is not something that encourages a low vibration to stay in a low 
space, while love embraces us, no matter where we may be in a spectrum, love itself is transformation and love will encourage the soul to move upwards. And that's what spiritual warfare will look like for us individually is that we will be challenged to move upwards. And that means we have to take a look at everything we believe, think, see, and feel and learn how to discern that which is good from evil, that which is inferior from superior and actually make changes within and then without. And then the bigger aspects of, you know, spiritual warfare obviously go out into all manner of things, including, you know, the full-on battles that people will have against dark forces all the way up to exorcism, where you see that these things can manifest in a variety of ways. And that's a good little place too, is like when we talk about exorcism, because most everyone here, if not basically all of us, we have some kind of possession of the gods of vice. And so perhaps someone who's uh, getting into spiritual warfare for the first time, what do you think would be a good place to start? Well, we want to use that word carefully because to clarify in terms of what like Catholic exorcists would say is that possession itself is very rare, actual possession. Mm -hmm. But there are these other parts of it, which include obsession. And that's when, yes, we are surrounded by, influenced by these demonic forces and you mentioned of our vice, which is absolutely true. So that which we are most attracted to, we attract those spiritual forces towards us. So if you're attracted to a virtue, the angels of virtue will be coming towards you. If you're attracted to a vice, those angels of that vice, those demons of that vice, they will also come towards you. And so they're, so they're magnetized by our thoughts and feelings. Yes. And we are literally giving permission for them to come near us when we have, so when we're having greedy thoughts, angry thoughts, we're giving permission for them to come into our sphere, into our perimeter. Mm -hmm. And so those are the kinds of things that bring them about us. So when you say that most of us have this around us, that is absolutely true. Most of us do, and very few of us would likely recognize that we absolutely do oh i know there was a an actual latin exorcism that was on youtube right and then some people would just play that or put it on so they can listen to it over and over yes there was and i'm not sure if it's still there it, they used to have one that was actually approved of by the bishops and it may be there may not be there i, I recently looked for it couldn't find it but yeah they do they did have one that was on there and another and, spiritual tool could be, uh, is the Our Father prayer. The Our Father prayer. You know, the irony, and just one thing I'd like to point out to people, sure. I'm not a cradle Catholic. I was born and raised in a Mormon family. Most of my family members were atheists. My father was the Mormon. I knew nothing about the Catholic church except the negative stuff that I obviously got from being Mormon because Mormons are not fans of Catholics. <laughs> And when I went on my spiritual journey, I wasn't really interested in the Mormon faith either. I started 
looking into all these other religions, studying the ancient sacred texts. And so when I talk about these things, it's really important to realize this is not coming from, oh, that's what she was taught. This is coming from, this is what I experienced despite what I believed, despite what I was taught, despite what I previously thought. And so what's interesting here is that it, a lot of the Catholic prayers, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, there are a couple of things that I experienced were Jesus crucified, repeating that over and over again is very, very powerful with the demonic experiences that I had. It would actually cause the skin of the demons to burn. And there was also Jesus, Mary, I love you, save souls. And so there are a lot of these Catholic things, Hail Mary. Because Mary, Mary can crush the uh, head of the serpent. Yes. And that's why you see her, for those of you who are not Catholic, where she's always uh, off, off, most of the time standing on the world and there is a serpent under her feet. It's because Mary crushes the head of the serpent who is Satan. She has this special gift. And I was very surprised when I had these experiences and realized that the name of Jesus, even the name of Jesus, you know, even before I started seeing that these Catholic prayers were so powerful, but that the name of Jesus all these things had this power against the demons. And this was partly because I had not, I was not Catholic. I had not chosen a faith. I was like, wow, now that's interesting, isn't it? And so this is important for us to know. The name of Christ is, is very powerful in spiritual warfare. And in fact, you talked about how Christ and Jesus and that energy in the spiritual realm was the most powerful. Yes. Mm -hmm. right? But you also talked about Zarathustra came through with his sword of truth, the Buddha and the Avalokitesvara coming through with the aura and the compassion. And the, and love, so the love that she had. She came in and yeah, so we have all these prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics from all these different traditions, religions, and cultures who came in throughout many of my experiences and who had different gifts in this purification path. Many of them, I had experiences where they participated in some of the spiritual warfare and they helped me, but always came back down to that. It was the name of Christ, was the Blessed Mother, St. Michael, the Archangel. These were the, the names that you would go back to over and over again, but primarily to Christ, the name of Jesus was the name that you would go to and these prayers you know and the one thing that was the surprising thing was the first stanza of the our father was shown to me over and over again as being one of the most powerful exorcism prayers and to this day decades later i still will pray this just the first stanza which is the our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we remember it's the only prayer that Jesus gave to us. This part of the prayer, we're actually asking for God's power and emanation to be brought from heaven to earth. And so there's a real power if you actually think about the words and what's in those words. Mm -hmm. And then also you worked a lot with Chief Joseph, medicine women. Yes. 
there's a, there's a whole plethora of bees, golden angels, all kinds of guides. Let's go ahead and jump into energetic alteration, which is the first chapter okay. of the book. I know that it starts off with you are taken to this ghetto and there's this bar and it's owned by a family and they live upstairs. So you're brought there and the dad is like known for just getting really drunk and hanging out with his friends and laughing. You know, I can see him like playing cards and stuff. And the little, the son of his little boy was just upset because this always happens. So he poured beer over his head and the dad was like super angry. And so you were able to, for one, and a lot of your spiritual warfare, you learn about yourself by helping others. Yes. Right. And so that's pretty much everything, everything everything that you're every, you know, and there's a lot of different ways that in my out of body travels where I'm called to do give service to other people. But every time you're giving service to other people, you learn about yourself. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that you experience that doesn't open windows to your own soul Mm -hmm. and humanity as a whole. And, you know, obviously understanding humanity opens bare humanity for yourself, because we are all just part and parcels of that. But yeah, what happens there is is a real a real basic you know alteration, and that's what we start with an energetic alteration, which is how we're called to go in and and change the outcome of something that could go wrong, could go very wrong. In this case, the father was drunk; was it was probably going to really badly beat the child. He was so pissed off basically and what was what was interesting is in that state that you were in you were able to read his mind mm-hmm. and his thoughts and you could see that his energy could really harm the boy exactly and so that's a very good point too because then you're observing from what i call management realm which is where things are happening before they hit the ground and so that's where things are in thought and energy And it's where things are happening before and where they're building up and they're going to hit the ground, but they haven't hit yet. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, when you're in the management realm and if you're called in there to alter as an alterer, lack of a better word, you're given this special gift of the Holy Spirit when you're called to do this. And one of the things that's real interesting about these experiences is you only know these things when God calls you to do so. I couldn't just say, okay, I'm going to go in and I want to know the truth about this or that. And, and it just happens unless God decides he's going to show you something. You're shown when you are being called to do something. So you have this ability at those moments when there is something that you are called to do. So energetically it's just kind of like infused into you it comes into you like just a a frequency of vibration you know what's going to happen and and you know too at the same time exactly what you need to do or say to intervene to alter it so if i may so you were directed to go in between the father and the son because the father was chasing the son around from that place, you were a vessel for God to bring universal acceptance and love through you to alter the energy at which it, yes. did, it diffused and de-energized. And then they started laughing and you know hugged each other and you know, they yes. laughed. 
Yeah, it gave just enough time, I think, and it allowed for there to be a funnel towards the father who was just like, you know, and here again is an example of where you can have two forces competing against each other. So here's God trying to bring in that universal acceptance and love. And he's got this rage fueling. And I'm sure at the same time, there's probably the demons of rage trying to get him to really go for it, right? And so that's the battle right there, the spiritual warfare between what is he going to choose? And in this instance, he was able to respond to this love and this unconditional acceptance and, and it calmed him. And he was able to see that this was funny, that it really didn't have to be so serious. And he was able to see that he loved his child and it diffused. But you can also see if he went the other way, the outcome could have been very, very different and how the dark side would have very much liked that other outcome. And that is what the dark side would have energized if they had been successful that would have been their wish and this is where you can see how a simple situation like this can literally be life-altering it can completely change the course of a soul's journey a soul's history can change the course of their life obviously because the consequences could have been extremely dramatic one way or the other when you think about cases where children lose their lives over a momentary lapse of reason and that is what the dark side grabs a hold of within us so i want to go to another experience that you had and then share an experience i had like a couple nights ago okay and kind of what i learned from it okay. so you were taken to a cathedral and there was a bunch of people in worship. So we have conscious, right? So oh, I'm being, you know, consciously aware of all this stuff, but also our subconscious is aware of a lot of other things that our conscious life isn't aware of, right? And so you were floating around in the cathedral and then their subconscious, a lot of them were, or many of them were aware of you and going like, whoa, what's that lady doing up there? And you're like, hey, telepathically their subconscious was asking you questions why their conscious life wasn't even aware of it they're just like oh you know listening to the sermon but their subconscious is asking you questions telepathically saying hey you know how do you do that and you're like i don't know and you're like going through the roof and you're coming back and you're like oh you know so you're kind of like showing how with your body you can go anywhere while there's subconscious going on and there's telepathy going on so we're starting to learn some of these tools in the spirit world that we can use i had an ex uh, experience the other night one thing I didn't do, but I remember you in this book were talking about Andy didn't tune in to what the mission was. It was actually, it was a, a drug-fueled guy with a gun in that instance, but, but he didn't tune in. He just like went right in. So I kind of, first thing I did is I, that's what I did. I didn't tune in. I was in this like hotel room. I was like this woman and this guy and she was crying and then she was looking through these photographs and she found some. It made her even more emotional. And I was like, oh, you know, and then we started pasting all these pictures on one of those fences that are like this. I don't know. Yes. And so we're putting them all on there and then they just like disappeared and I was left there and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I better get my stuff. 
So I started gritting my stuff and bringing it, I guess my house was next door. So I was bringing the stuff next door because the photos I was feeling, maybe those were incriminating photos. Then I came back to get a cooler, which was styrofoam, which I thought maybe had some beer in it, but it was, uh, which is, you know, one of my vices. I drink beer once in a while. And then, <laughs> so I was shaking it, but it seemed like it was empty. But then the guy came home and he was like, oh, and I'm like, oh no, I better go kind of fast. And he goes, oh, I have gifts. And I'm like, gifts, he thinks they're gifts. And I'm like, cause I thought, you know, we did something with the photographs that was kind of incriminating him. And so then I felt like I had to get away with something. Like I had to go fast. And as soon as I did that, I felt like I kind of was going to fall. And then I was in my house and I was thinking, oh, I don't know if my door is locked. The guy lives next door. He can come and get me. So then I woke up and I remembered it all. So I was glad for that. But so there was a few things. I didn't tune in. I didn't know what the mission was. And I didn't make a clean exit like the other two people did. And I was trying to grab all my stuff of my material connections. And then I was just going next door and still kind of staying around all the stuff. And so not feeling protected. There was a few good lessons in that one. So what, what's your take on that? Well, why don't I ask you what is your take on it first? <laughs> well, I, I felt like it was, it was given to me a simple mission to go okay. in and do something, to learn some lessons from it, to tune in, not be connected to anything material because none of that stuff exists there anyways. And uh, to know that I'm protected and just make a clean exit. It's like, I'm what did you feel was going on? So there was something with the pictures. Yeah, I felt like maybe this was incriminating the guy for like doing some illicit sexual things. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so and she we were like, we were incriminating like, look, you know, like show your... I'm going to, we're going to put it out there so you can see that other people know what you Okay. Doing. And so she was crying because maybe she realized that that was going on. Yeah. Or I almost felt like her, she was being touched. Like, oh, like even she's looking at pictures where she was reminiscing about it. So then when the guy came home and said, oh, gifts. Then I was confused. I'm like, I don't even know what the heck this mission was about. I just totally missed the whole point. I don't even know if it was good or bad. <laughs> I was left. So then it really made me think, okay, next time you got to tune in to what the mission is before you do anything. Yeah. Well, and maybe that is uh, the biggest, the biggest lesson to come from it because it is unclear what that mission was as to whether or not there was something that maybe she needed for you to be compassionate towards her and to give her the compassion she needed if she was processing through something that this man her husband or whatever he was to her had done or whether it was that she was reminiscing or maybe they had done something together and she had regrets about it of some kind we just don't know yep. and then you don't know if there was something that could have been in play as to how to energetically bring the two either together to recover from whatever this was so that there would be healing and they could move forward from maybe something dumb that had happened in their youthful years and that, that maybe they can recover and move forward from this or if it was something more serious but it sounds it almost comes to me like it was probably something more where she may have needed healing and energy towards healing 
and the two of them may have needed energy towards healing where they can move forward somehow, but it's unclear. But it doesn't mean that you just totally screwed up. It can mean too, because it's a new experience for you that, okay, you went in and now you see, okay, so what I need to do next time is like, I have to try to like become conscious in that moment of, I need to try to sit still so that I can be infused with the knowledge of why I'm here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something that we become more and more uh, better at as we continue where we realize, you know, without being informed, we never understand what's happening. You know what I mean? But once we get good at that, it makes a, a huge difference because then everything comes together and makes sense and things just fall into place. So then the final part of that was when I went home and I was in my bedroom and then I was just kind of afraid that that potential dark being would come and find me. So what okay. is your, what's your take about that? And that's the neighbor guy, right? Yeah. Yes. And so that's hard to know as to whether, and, and I'm assuming that this is not someone who's really your physical neighbor in this life. It's mm. different in the experience. And so there you have something that I think that especially when you're having your initial experience like that, it's not that uncommon to be afraid that it can harm you or that they can harm you. When you first experience like your first lost soul, uh, you can end up being really, really afraid, even though the fear is really theirs and you're projecting it. But what, what may have happened is whatever it was that you saw in those pictures that was then, you know, subsequently kind of taken from you because it was not, you weren't allowed to retain it, was disturbing enough to you that it made you feel like knowing his secret might put you at risk, right? Yeah. And that he would, he would be upset that someone knew his secret. And so I think that response would be normal, but then immediately you have to remind yourself again, you're, you're entering into an energetic reality and it's, you're safe there in that sense that he's not going to be able to do anything in that reality. And in fact, it's more than likely that whoever this soul was would have been subconscious and not even aware of what was being attempted at, you know, to, to happen here. But, you know, just the fact that you were more afraid makes me suspect that there was something more to what you saw that was significant in that there was something to those pictures that would have made you feel more afraid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess the reason I brought that up, too, is like for people doing spiritual warfare, maybe they're afraid that when they start this journey, that maybe that'll open them up to to dark beings or forces or whatever or people who are full of vice to then come come at us well okay. and and that's a legitimate concern and fear because that can happen and you know i think the way that i would recommend it is 
most people, this will happen naturally if this is something they're called to do. And they're going to want guidance to it because they don't understand what's happening to them. If you're actively seeking it out, you're more likely to run into trouble <laughs> than if you allow things to happen naturally. Because if things are happening naturally, it's usually more something that you're just being called in to do. You're being drawn to do it. And then there's a certain mystical protection that comes with that. But there is a, um, there's, there's fear that comes with spiritual warfare that's just natural to it. And, and it will get more and more intense as you go into the heavy duty, you know, like when you're really like battling with a demonic source, you're going to wake up terrified <laughs> afterwards. You know what I mean? Even if you're victorious, you're going to wake up and you're going to be freaked out by it because, you know, but part of what's happening is, and this is the part that's hard for people to understand because of the fact that this is always going on it whether you know and most people are not aware of it what's happening is you're becoming aware of something that's already there and i'll give you an example of uh, someone who shared this with me a person in australia who had a near-death experience and when he came back from his near-death experience he had this new spiritual gift of just being able to see the spiritual presences around people upon return. And he said that when he came back and he was awake in the hospital, there were like seven little demons just hanging out in a corner of his room. And he would watch the nurses walking down the hallway and there would be two demons walking with them, each one of them. Mm. And he would see an occasional angel but he was just shocked at how many demons walked among us. And they said, well, welcome to reality. <laughs> and what I mean when I say that is just because we can't see them doesn't mean that they're not already there. And so what this man had to learn to do was to come to terms with being aware of what already is but what he now knew to be right there in front of him. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what's happening even in this energetic alteration where you're becoming aware of things. You're going to feel discomfort. You're going to feel like I'm invading someone's private space. If you are intentionally seeking something out, then, then that's a valid concern. But if you're actually pulled into this like you were, then that's different because this is part of evolution and creation continuing to create, which is how we all work to help one another on all these different energy, vibration, and frequency levels where we do help each other on these subconscious levels. And people do it, I'm sure, for me. I do it for other people. This is part of the mechanism of how we grow. And we do it not only by receiving help, but also by giving help. So it's both. It happens both ways. And so when you're going in there, let's say this is maybe the first time or the first of a few times where you became conscious 
that you were literally like peeping into someone else's private world. And that made you uncomfortable. You felt like you were violating this man's private situation with his wife. And that made you uncomfortable. It made you feel vulnerable because, you know, there is an, a, a code between men that you just don't do that, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you felt nervous and afraid that, that you could, he could come after you. But in the world of the mystic, we do this sort of thing for one another all the time. So whatever it was that you were doing when you were putting those pictures on the graded fence was something else. You were doing it to help this woman to process something. And the fact that the images were disappearing as you put them on the graded fence would also be a possible sign and symbol that as you were putting those images in that order on the fence, those memories were becoming no longer relevant. They were disappearing. They were going away. They were just fading off into nothingness. So you may have actually fulfilled the function of your coming and not totally realized it. And yet you, you, know, you still went through all this discomfort about it. But by doing this process, there were things that were going on in her head and about their past or about his past or something that needed to be processed. And you were taking those photographs which represented energies, memories that were energies, and you were organizing those energies on this graded fence. And as they were organized, they disappeared. So that tells us that what you did was successful, it was working. But your normal conscious self could easily just think, well, I'm kind of violating this guy's privacy, right? And then you feel uncomfortable, right? Right. Okay, so let's, um, so there's a couple of things in the first chapter of the spiritual warfare. You woke up and you looked next to you and your husband was undergoing a vibrational raising. And this is something that happens quite often. Actually, there was two of him. Yep. One was above and one below. And you saw that this was happening. And then you went through a vibrational raising yourself in preparation for you to go on a spiritual journey. Right. So you were getting, a, so this is, this can, ha- this happens, right? Yep. People, you feel that out there where like the energy starts like mm, kind of speeding up. I and mean, then that's the way it feels like with me. Mm-hmm. And then you were brought to this Colosseum, Roman times. And there was like this, Romanesque dude, and he was really looking at you intently. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, what's going on there? And then it turns out that it was actually Red Jacket from mm-hmm. a former life. And he came there to give you instruction or to help you with some aspect of your soul. So yeah. you're time traveling, you had your vibration raised. So there's many aspects as we look at this. That if we just go over it really quickly, we kind of miss these details. Yes. And then why why a Roman time? And why is he in that body? And why are you in that place? Part of the reason, from my perspective, why the Romanesque was at that point, I was still putting together that this memory that I'd been shown 
of this Roman lifetime was actually the same soul as that of Red Jacket. And it was interesting as well, because as Red Jacket was held captive by my people, the white man, as a Native American, in Roman times, Red Jacket, as a Roman man, had held me captive in a slave camp. And so there was this thing that I was trying to, they were trying to show me this uh, correlation of how everything does come full circle. And so I had also been held captive. And ironically, as Red Jacket had also escaped, I also escaped eventually. And as he had escaped and I had never seen him again, I had also escaped and we had never seen each other again in the Roman life. So there was this pattern of, of lifetimes, but we had both played the part of the captive and the captor to a certain extent. But the other part of it was the deep love that he emanated towards me, which made me very uncomfortable, especially at this time, because I had just been really started, you know, started to be introduced to this soul. And I was married as a young woman. And it, you know, didn't make sense to me. Now, uh, you know, 37 years later, I can certainly see that, well, we've lived so many different lifetimes. And we have loved many souls as mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, husbands, wives. And we do have certain souls that are very close to us, but it's not all, it's not that simple that, you know, the way that we do it in the physical world where we try to compartmentalize love, love in the way that we experience it in the afterlife, the love that God emanates towards us that near-death experiencers feel is different than what we call love here. And so this is something that I was experiencing was that universal love that souls have for each other who have been working to help each other to evolve over lifetimes feel. And it was a very uncomfortable feeling, but Ironically, it relates back to spiritual warfare in that, how do we deal with spiritual warfare? We go back to, well, who is God? God is love. And so we have to come to terms with what is love really in terms of God. But then we also have to come to terms with what love is in our own life, but in our soul and understanding it in this bigger sense and recognizing that this is not something that has to be a conflict for people, that we do have many lives and that there are these connections that we have that will crop up uh, for different reasons. I want to just lay out a couple things because we talk about fear, right? And so you were taken to this astral convention uh, of women. They were all there talking and you came up and appeared and you had like this beautiful glow and they're like, whoa, you have an amazing glow. 
you talked to them, you, you, were, you were sent to talk to them about being out of body. Mm -hmm. And so you did. And then right away, they're like, oh, wait a minute. And they started giving you religious tenets of, of multiple faiths. And then you're like, oh, okay, interesting. So what if I were to tell you you were out of body right now? And they're like, huh? And they got all afraid. Mm -hmm. and like, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Don't worry. You can like will yourself back to your body. So just, you know, it's all good. But do you have anything to say about that experience that you had? Well, I mean, one thing I would definitely say is that we can really we can really compartmentalize ourselves and and place ourselves within these boxes of concepts. And that's what was happening there. And people do that. I'm definitely a person who embraces all religions and stuff because I really read the ancient sacred texts and I study them and write about them. But we do that in religion as well, where we, we lose the thrust of the original revelation, which is this grand out-of-body experience that was had by the prophet who brings it to us. We forget that what created that faith was something completely liquid, ethereal, non-structured, and we try to shove it into a structure. And structures cannot contain God. They block it often. Uh, yes, a lot of times it blocks it. And so, you know, one of the things that I've definitely learned over the years is that most souls do experience out-of-body travel while they're sleeping at night, even though most souls are not aware of it. But what happens is, is that other half of our existence here is where we are being taught and trained and, and we are being given all these little shifts of frequency and vibration that's trying to help us through our daily life. And so it's again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, which is we're just becoming conscious of what's already going on, you know? So, <laughs> you know, well, is it dangerous for me to go out of body? Well, you're already doing it. So you're kind of becoming aware of that, that you're doing it. You're, be, you're remembering, you're remembering that you're doing it. Just as we talked about earlier, remembering and becoming able to now see the the principalities and powers that walk among us it's not that they're not already there and haven't always been there it's just that we become capable of seeing them just like our near-death experiencer in australia whose life completely changes because he wakes up and can see what's always been there you see <laughs> Now, when you, you were brought into this place and then some women were like, hey, how did you get that beautiful glow? And then you said something, which I think would be like a good mantra, just you know, <laughs> for a while until it really infuses within. But I am flowing with the divine plan of unconditional love and existing in a state of peace and being. So where do you get that beautiful glow and light? Well, I am flowing with the divine plan of unconditional love and existing in a state of peace and being. <laughs> I just want to like say that over and over and over. <laughs> you know, but that's it's these like little nuggets of gold that are in each one of these experiences that when I look upon it closer and really analyze it, it's like, wow, that's, that's a beautiful gift that was given in that journey. And that's why I made it in the book. Because I know you've had thousands and thousands of experiences. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to 
winnow it down as to what stays in and what goes out because it's impossible to record it all. Let's say that uh, somebody is interested in being a, a spiritual warrior, helping to, I don't know if I want to say raise the vibration of the planet, because that's like one of those things that you talk about in the book, how this particular realm has its own significance, its own knowledge for people to learn. And then I think about, well, what is the greatest potential to help the earth, or I guess the dimensions of, of earth, this realm, this third and fourth realm, this the borderlands, like how do we help in the highest way, but then still there has to be this, we have to respect the knowledge base that's inherent in this realm. So it's like, wow, so we can do a lot of good and help a lot, but then I'm still kind of, so we, I guess we come in, we do as much good as we can to help people raise wherever they're at to go to higher places um, spiritually. And, but then the, the realm as it is stays how it is because of its knowledge uh, potential for people when they go there. So do you get where I'm coming at? It's like it's a I do. I do totally get where you're coming from. And what we have to remember is that every one of the prophet saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics from all traditions and religions and cultures, they had this final moment on earth, you know, their, their final lifetime. This is where most of the ancient sacred texts come from, right? This is the final words of a, of, a, of, of a realized soul before they leave this planet, leaving behind the keys, the secrets. And that's where some of our previous films came from, the stairway from earth to heaven, you know? Sure. And so what we all want to do is remember that even though it may not be our task to change the nature of this realm, if that is to change, then God will deign it and we will just, you know, he'll, he'll lead that charge and do it and, you know, tell us what to do if he wants us to assist. But for the meantime, if assuming that that's not the case, since I was told very clearly that at least so far, that's not the case, then what we want to do is leave behind whatever we can that will help all those who follow to find their way out of here too, find their way through the, the lessons to be learned in this earthly existence here so that they can complete that purification journey and ascend out of this realm of learning into the next level. And that's really what, you know, the purpose of many of those prophets, saints, mystics, and sages, and ascetics, and the ancient sacred texts were trying to do was to give those individual viewpoints of their path and how they achieved it and moving on to the higher astral planets and into the higher worlds. And hopefully that's what I'll get to do when I leave this life here. I hope so, you know, if not, kind of, I'll see you again. Kind of, <laughs> you're sort of doing it already. I <laughs> hope so. You're cruising around. You know, because uh, the first thing I ever thought of when I thought of spiritual warfare was, okay, so things start in the spirit realm before they hit the ground. So, yes. okay, so there's all these dark beings that are just in their particular way that they are right now. They're 
from a darker nature. They're, they're doing these, you know, things that are hurting other people, maybe hurting the world or whatever. So my first thing is like, well, why can't, you know, an Archangel Michael or other angels are so powerful that they can just go beep and like just, you know, uh, alter things like that if there's something that's not going with the divine plan of God. I just think of, there's probably these gangs of darks, like, you know, <laughs> now I'm flipping a coin on the street corner. <laughs> and and they're just hanging out and influencing this person here on the ground that's doing raising all this havoc so i'm just like well why can't we just go to that gang and get like archangel michael and you talked about also this female who was one of the the legions of angels of archangel michael but it was a female who was just as big as archangel michael and just as powerful i thought that was pretty cool but like <laughs> why not just go like hey Archangel Michael, you know, the gang is right over here. <laughs> Let's go wipe them out. It's going to make the earth so much better. It's like, so why can't we do that? <laughs> but that's what well, I always thought of when I thought of spiritual warfare at first. Well, it's a great question because, I mean, there's an answer to it, which is there's two answers. One is we can, we can ask. And remember, ask you shall receive. And so each one of us needs to be asking for that help because when we ask, we are giving permission for the angels of light to assist us and to assist others in this realm. And that's ironically what prayer does, right? Mm -hmm. But we also have to remember then the reason why they don't just come in and clear them all out is because of the divine plan of God, which is, what is it? Free will. Free will. <laughs> and so the the goal here is for people to make this free will choice for God and to go towards the all holiness of God from a free will, not from a coerced will. And so then we have to understand that what the primary the overwhelming nature of most souls on earth because it is the battle between good and evil darkness and light within each and every soul on earth and so that's just the nature of the beast you know so we have both extremes here we have really really evil souls and we have really really holy souls and um, everything in between and you spoke of helping to energize people going towards the upward thrust, but also for people who are de-energizing or going towards death or going towards a lower nature to just also in a way just kind of go, okay, well, that's where you're going to go, I guess. So that's your choice because you have free will. Yeah, to a certain extent, there is a point energetically in the alteration realms, we do have a sense when someone is at that point where it's okay, you have to just let them be, let them make that, they've made that choice, they're going that way. And then you just, they literally are going towards death and death being a spiritual state, not necessarily a physical state. It can be both and it can be just one or the other, just like life is not necessarily a physical state. It can be either or both. And so when we're going towards life, we're going towards light, love, and goodness. When you're going towards darkness, you're going towards darkness. 
evil and disarray and chaos. And so when someone chooses that, you let them choose it because there is a point of no return. It, it doesn't mean that they can't return. It means that they've chosen not to return and that it is pointless then to continue trying to alter their path. So you let them be until God decides and sends someone back in to assist. Because literally one of the other things I've been shown is the moment a soul reaches out for help, help is sent literally that second. It's amazing to see how quickly that happens. So the moment that soul is ready for help again and wants to go the other direction, that help will be there instantly. But when a soul is like, nope, this is where I'm going, we let them do that. Because what happens is it's, you know, how people talk about having to hit rock bottom. Spiritually, it's the same thing. But when you talk about energizing the upward thrust, a lot of the mystical work, a lot of spiritual warfare is doing these energetic things. And what you see in the mystical and the out-of-body travel states is how the angels and then also how other souls like myself and others like me, and there are many others like me, and you wouldn't, you'd probably be surprised how many of you who are watching might be doing this and not remember it yet. Because again, everything, a lot of this is just remembering what's already happening, that we are doing things to assist souls subconsciously, who are trying to go higher, but they have blocks along their path. We help them to remove those obstacles. And then, you know, the angels come in and they have this beautiful thing that they do where they just know, you know, it's like, they're like little surgeons. They know I need, I need to tweak this. I need to tweak that, switch this and that. And then there's all of a sudden a light coming out this way and this way, which gives the soul a forward motion. And so they just have this beautiful perfect synergy to know how to help us as souls to continually go in towards that upward thrust as long as that's what we're seeking. But we also throw a lot of obstacles on our own paths, as we can all imagine. We all do it. I do it. Everyone does it. And so then there's also these alterations. There's a lot of damage control. <laughs> you know? these obstacles can even if they're self-created or whatever can completely take us out of the game not they to, absolutely can not to say it's a game but it can be a game i suppose but well uh, it definitely can take us out of the game any mistake it can be a small a small obstacle can become a huge obstacle if handled differently than intended it's so weird because we can be taken out of the game easily Yes. So there's, there's one experience you had where there was this light emanating from the sky and there were several other spirits there. And one of them said to you in that out-of-body state, they said, uh, touch the light and you'll be able to speak with Jesus. And then a massive energy surge pulsed into your soul and a powerful voice spoke. You can come to me with fear and worry. Let us understand what you fear so as not to hide your light. Other souls had come to also speak with Jesus, but because of their doubts, they were taken out of the game. Because of their doubts, they were not able to make the connection. And then you asked, you said, well, can I help them so that they can hear your voice? 
And the voice said to you, don't expect to be validated by the earth plane. Just feel strength with yourself and do the tasks you have set out to do. You may be misunderstood. Even those who are known as teachers may misunderstand you. You will lead be beings to themselves. You are an example of what they could become. Some are so wrapped up in the monetary aspects that their growth is, is thwarted. So the utmost important thing is your evolution, your evolution in this lifetime. Don't stop for anyone. They will follow your lead. So I thought that was a cool experience, again, where we're being stopped by our own fears and worries. Maybe we're not worthy enough. Maybe we're afraid we did these things in the past. Past is dead. <laughs> it's not going towards life right it's not going towards the light that's another discussion we'll have in the future fear and worry that's huge like stopping us fear and worry is is huge in almost every aspect of the spiritual life we'll see this with spiritual warfare we'll see it with ghosts and lost souls we see it with our own karmic paths our own reincarnation journeys we see it with almost everything that we will experience in the out-of-body travel state as we undergo purification will have an aspect of peeling away layers of fears, misunderstandings, worries, things that become fetters for us. You know, in Buddhism, they call it fetters, things that hold us to earth, hold us down, keep us from moving forward. They just become something that's like a big tight shoelace Mm -hmm. and so yeah fears and worries and you'll see that repeated throughout the spiritual journey another experience you had you were sent to old western times and you looked down and you were a fat dirty man yes <laughs> <laughs> you were with a, a wife and child and so you're in a horse and carriage and then you're guided to go to this house because this woman had just lost her husband due to heat stroke and she had twins and she was completely overwhelmed. And so you guys were instructed to like, hey, you know, um, you need some help around here. We're just looking, you know, we can help you maybe for some food and a place to lay our head. And she's like, well, you know, okay, I suppose. And then you help build her, her carriage and stuff like that. And helped her for weeks and then she recovered and then she was like well you know my carriage is ready i think i'll be on my way <laughs> like okay because you knew there was going to be another chance meeting that she's going to have with someone else to also help her exactly we knew that she would be because she was literally she had just given birth to those twins so these were newborn babies and so you know under normal circumstances you wouldn't be like okay sure go on yeah. All right, later. All right, catch you later. <laughs> there's some cactus, there's some cactus over there. If you cut them open and drink the liquid. <laughs> yeah, but we knew that it had already been ordained and she was going to meet someone else. And we didn't know anything about it. We didn't know details, but we knew that she was going to meet someone else who was picking up where we were going to leave off. And so I mean it was it's kind of a beautiful thing when you think about how how God does that isn't it <laughs> you know I think that, that happens like on the ground too doesn't it absolutely yes it does because god creates circumstances 
when he sees that we might need them. So there was uh, Reverend Sam Malone. Good old Reverend Sam. Oh, Sam. (laughs) So he was given the truth to preach and to help people to find the way. And then he uh, got in. There was some criminals, remember? Yep. And do you want to just say the story then? No, I like it when I I like hearing it. You like how I do it? Well, there was, uh, he felt empathy. Yes. And and somewhat condoned their violence because of where they were coming from. And then you were sent to come there and go, Sam. Oh, Sam. So never condone, you can never condone violence. Yeah. So you uh, have the opportunity to de-energize these criminals from doing these violent acts. And so just tell them the truth and they will follow your lead, right? Yes. And what what Reverend Sam Malone was able to do was he was able to de-energize this hostage situation, but it was only by holding the line to the truth because he was empathizing too much with what their their so-called you know cause was. And I don't remember what their cause was. It was probably the plight of the poor or something like that, which mm-hmm. is common in a lot of these things. But, you know, this is something that we see all the time in our world today, because we want to have the empathy and the understanding for how do we help everyone in our society. We want that. But there is, this was a perfect example of where the eternal came in and said, don't you ever condone violence. You Mm -hmm. don't ever take the life of another soul to justify any cause that is a complete contradiction that is literally the backwards flow that is exactly what evil is that is the backwards flow and i like the way you wrote it because before that was said it was like kind of preparing them by going you know oh sam it's good that you see the twinness of man that your captor, your captors have more than one side to them. Yes. But you must never condone violence. Never, right? But just, I like that nice little way of, oh, you saw the twinness. Yeah. Good, and but. Well, you know, <laughs> and how many times do we see situations that, and here we go. We were just talking about the situation with the father who could have gone really overboard and it could have been a tragic, horrible situation, but instead they laughed, they hugged, and it was nothing. Mm -hmm. How many situations do we hear of in our world, not to mention just the past week, where something, maybe people have something that they might have something to say about that might be legitimate, maybe. But whatever that message might have been is completely irrelevant because of the actions they took. It does, it does their plight zero, not, not only no good, but it just goes the opposite way of what if they did have something legitimate to say, like you said, okay, great, then you know, say it. But to do something horrid and, and violent, wow, what does that do for your cause? I mean, exactly. And so let's go back to the two aspects of creation, which are creation and destruction. 
when you have, and this is what was going on with Reverend Sam Malone, and we see this in our world today where there's lots of mass shootings. We have lots of really pointless acts of violence where people actually will try to make statements about one cause or another by actually doing something of great and horrific evil against others. And let's make it very clear that is evil. That's simply and purely evil. You do never commit sin to justify sin. You do never justify sin by committing sin. You do not do good to justify an evil or justify an evil by doing good. That is backwards flow. That is going towards death. This is basic elemental spiritual warfare. And what happened here with Sam Malone, because he was getting caught up, he, was, he could have gotten all riled up with them. Things could have gotten real violent, but instead he was able to pull himself back. He was able to recognize that there was a twinness there, that these were people who probably had a point to make, but yet what they were doing was absolutely and totally unacceptable. And the two had nothing to do with one another. One might have been, okay, you might have something to say. The other was, this is a completely evil, unacceptable act, and you need to fix it. Which he did. And he de-energized the situation. Yes, and he did de-energize that situation. What was interesting about that, too, was that situation, as you'll see in some of my experiences, there will be these lengthy periods of time so like over that particular one it was like I met him two weeks earlier but it was the same night and we go through this educational thing with him and then two weeks pass but it's the same night out of body travel time two weeks later this hostage situation arises and then I come back and remember what I told you what I taught you and you'll see this happening. And that happened also with the woman in the desert where it was over a two week period, astral time, but it was one night, mm -hmm. physical time. So we'll see where timelessness plays a role in these experiences. But these are very important things that we have to understand. This is where eternal law supersedes what our opinions might be or whatever the current thinking or political view or whatever someone has just thrown out. So no matter it'll be how- be different 20 years from now, you know, it'll be different. So it, it, that's always changing, but eternal law doesn't change. So no matter how touching and beautiful and right that somebody might be about what it is they're going through, there's, there's never any moment where it's like, yeah, that is so sad. Let's go burn some stuff or, you know, let's exactly. go play some havoc. You know? So like, again, yeah, so like, yeah, no, back no. To those, two, those two forces, creation and destruction. Creation is of the light, destruction is of the darkness. And so so if you're if you are dealing with because first of all, let's deal with the fact that everybody shares in the plight of humanity that everybody suffers different degrees. We all understand that. Suffering is part of human life. There are people who suffer uh, things that a lot of us could never even fathom. And so we know that that happens. 
But to believe that, that there are people who are exempt from suffering is naive. You know, it's naive because that is just part of our human condition. So to use any kind of human suffering as an excuse for evil acts, which are destructive acts, is simply evil and dark. Now, if you use whatever your situation is, and we have many, many, many beautiful examples of this too in our world, and not just now, but throughout time in history, of people who've taken equally sad stories and who have channeled that towards creation, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Mother Teresa, perfect example, but there are many others on all sorts of levels who have Gandhi, done this. Gandhi, perhaps. Gandhi, yeah. And there's many who didn't, you know, didn't create world movements, but who did things, even just people who have channeled. I knew people just even in my years working uh, as a volunteer in the church of many people who channeled their own suffering to help other people going through suffering. People who lost a child who would volunteer and help others going through similar losses. This goes on all the time. And we see people who take difficulties and they channel it towards creation rather than channeling it towards destruction. We do individually choose, and that's what spiritual warfare is in essence, choosing what are we going to be? Are we going to serve God or the dark side? Are we going to serve creation or destruction? And so this is really, really a vital part of just even understanding the basic element of what spiritual warfare is, which is those two parameters. And it makes it really simple, right? Because when you, when you just break it down to that, then it's, it's really easy to discern, isn't it, Brian, that what I'm thinking of doing is either destructive or creative. Right. Going towards the light or towards the dark. Right, exactly. That's, that's part of the very foundational practice now of, okay, now we know where we start this discernment that we have to form that foundation for creation or destruction. And everything that you choose, you put to that test. And the key word is discernment. Yes. So because going into some of these battles or some of these situations or missions you don't really know they may seem like everything's fine or you can't and you know and in real life too it's is that person a dark energy or not we can't it's not always so obvious right so that perceptive discerning element and power within us if we can well and in in reality too we often do not know for sure unless it is actually revealed to us energetically and then, of course, there's a whole nother discerning process about whether or not we are having things revealed to us from the proper source. But these kinds of things, things can be very cloudy. There are things that we can learn to do in the physical level to make really good discernments. But in the essence, a lot of these things have to be revealed for us to truly know what is the energetic truth about that that situation or that soul, because it's hidden to us. And there's a reason it's hidden to us. These are things that are reserved for God's eyes alone, unless he chooses to give us that, that light into it. We're given things and lessons in the spirit realms 
There was an instance where you were given a book by some spiritual guardians on courses to help souls in the unconscious world. Yes. What's the significance of that? That is, uh, the significance of those books is, you know, as you're, it's funny how, you know, in the spiritual world, we, we still receive books and things like that as well. And in fact, one of the things that I have, I, you know, in a lot of my uh, experiences, I've seen and received many books, some of which that I then found here and others that are just available only there. Now, these books to help with the subconsciouses of souls is for the work of alteration. It's ironically in those particular books, you would literally just hold the books, kind of touch them, each one, and the energy of the knowledge contained within them would kind of become part of you. And so it's literally an instruction that's happening so that as you're continuing now to move further and further into the alteration world, you're learning more and more. These things become part of you. They become just second nature to you. It's so interesting how it happens so gradually and so effortlessly and seamlessly when you just kind of allow it and surrender it, surrender to God, how God will train you up in that way. But those books contained within them, you know, more and more understandings of how do you assist these souls subconsciously so that they will be able to break through some of their obstacles, the things that hold them back, and what you need to do when you come across them. Each of these things prepares you for the next level of situations you're going to run into. And you don't really know what that is until you hit it. You know what I mean? <laughs> God kind of does it in such a way so that when there's something that we need, then it's going to be there. So whether right. it's going to be protection or some medicine or some kind of intelligence, a guide to take us to the next place, it all just is there what it needs to be. Right, exactly. Yes. So you were taken through a time tunnel into a Japanese soldier camp. Uh-huh. You were a dude. All these people were kind of caught up in the illusion that because you were trying to have a conversation, but there was only like so many words that they were kind of allowing because it wasn't in their regulations book. And I was like, oh, wait, we can't talk about that. It's not in the regulations book. You spoke to them. Have you ever considered why you follow those regulations? You all act as if you are zombies with no control over your future. And then you were really brought there to talk to them about the futility of war. And so you said, war is an answer for young souls who feel that their reality must be perpetuated on the world. There is room for many viewpoints and many viewpoints of soul ages. But why do you allow yourself to be used as pawns in a game of unevolved beings? You should take charge and lead because you know the truth. How many among you must you kill for someone else's argument? How many of you will die for an ideal that is not your own? Enter into love and bring about peace. So true. Plus, you know, it's not, it's not really fair. When your neocortex isn't fully developed, and you're like 19 or something, 
it's like, okay, guys, do this. It's like, okay, you kind of have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> you know, cortex isn't fully developed yet, but okay. <laughs> and that's, that's really the brakes. That's the discernment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're on a gas pedal until we're in our almost mid twenties with, cause that neocortex of discernment isn't there yet. So surely, you know, they're like full of, you know, like, Hey, let's go, you know, woo. It's like, let's go this way. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem fair. Do you have anything to say about that experience that you had? I've had quite a few experiences with soldiers in wars, you know, several civil war ones. And yeah, and the- there's another civil war one too, where you talk about their brothers and, you know, what have you gained from this war and, and what have you lost? Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, heartbreaking to the people when they thought about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, even just looking at the words that I was given to say to them, in the experience coming back from now 37 or so years later, guessing on the years, because I don't know how many years it's been, but having the life experience that I have now, I look back and I'm like, easy words to say, hard words to uh, put into practice in the real world. But in the experiences, those things, you know, those words come out of you automatically. It's from the Holy Spirit, it's infused into you. Those words represent the ideal. And I think what's sad when I listen to those words is just, you know, my, my decades of experience now show me how hard it is to actually make that happen in a world like ours, in a physical world where we're fallen. Well, you also spoke of, you had an experience with some people who helped in taking out Hitler. And you spoke about how there comes a time when we must stand against evil. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, there's no, there's no simple, everything fits all right. <laughs> yeah. And you also at the civil war experience, you said uh, war is not just because there's always innocent ones who are harmed and guilty ones that go free. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we have the, these ideas, you know, the just war theories and all kinds of things. And, but in reality, we all know that that is practically just not true. Most of us have family members. We've lost family members. We've lost a family member in the uh, Afghanistan conflict. And of course, if we go back further, we've lost members back in several wars. There is no practical way for there to be just war. People, uh, you know, people are killed who are innocents and then the guilty ones do. I mean, that's even with getting without getting into geopolitical issues, which I'm sure people don't need to hear about because they all know about it. You know, the simple reality is that the very nature of war is destructive. Is destruction. So thus. Yes. And, you know, there's no way that I, as 37 years later, as a mother of three adult children, and I have grandchildren, there's no way that I can look at it in any other way, but as a mother, which is that there's just no other way for me to view this than these are mother's children who are being sacrificed for ideas that could easily be solved and rectified without doing this de-energized de-energized yes these are things that and it's true we i did have that experience about world war ii and you had 
an actual incarnation of evil with Hitler, and he had to be stopped. There are situations, not just in war, there are other situations where people have to protect others or engage in self-defense, and people do things that are heroic to protect other people from the free will acts of others who choose destruction that could have erupted out of any of these other alterations that we've talked about where someone might have had to be protected and someone may have sacrificed their own life to do so. But the thing is that do these things, are they necessary? Do they need to happen? No, they happen because of the fallen nature of man, because of our own free will decisions. And unfortunately, in a fallen world, the, the karmic programs of human beings bounce off of one another. And that means that no one comes out unscathed. No one comes out without getting hurt. Well, you spoke about these two dogs in the spirit realm. One was dark and one was light, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm going to do this, light and dark. <laughs> I can use my hand. So the dark one was like vicious. Yes. And just like, blah, blah. and every time he like struck the light dog, right, the, he uh, would do damage, right? And so the more complacent the light was, the more damage they would take. Yeah. And so if we are complacent and we just sit back, because there's different levels of darkness, right, in this realm, and some people are very, very dark. And if the good people are just sitting there and being complacent about things, then um, without prayer and, and help, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, and in that experience, I remember that I was challenging the Christians on the ground to stand because they weren't willing to fight to protect and, and the darkness was taking over and control. And that's what we often have. And part of the reason we have it is because the nature of the light and the nature of goodness is that, first of all, you have to understand the nature of darkness. So we'll start there real quick. Nature of darkness is where they, they will take advantage of any boundaries that are left unguarded. They will try to manipulate, take over control, take charge. If they can get away with something, they will do it. <laughs> That's the nature of evil. Where damage can be done, it will be done. The nature of light is to try to work actually in harmony and dominion and love and kindness and peace. And so one of the mistakes and one of the weaknesses of the light can be that they go into this denial that darkness and evil are what they are. And so they don't want to or recognize the need to defend the boundaries of light. They think that, oh, no, we, we'll, we'll be able to work this out without. And they don't recognize that, no, you actually do have to stand and you do have to put up those boundaries. You do have to have law and order. You do have to have a remedy in your social system for putting people into some kind of a situation where they that you protect society against them when they have proven that they are not safe with other people. So in other words, prisons, jails, situations like that. You do have to have law enforcement. What happens is we've developed this idea that 
you can just rely on or count on other people to do the quote unquote right thing when we actually have a whole society now of people who don't even know what the right thing is anymore. Yeah. And that's partly because we've lost the whole idea of what is good, what is evil, and how do you actually discern those things? That is one of the biggest weaknesses of the light is not realizing that no, the darkness, evil does not think like good thinks. Good does think about well, what's best for everybody. Darkness thinks about what can I get away with? To live in unconditional love doesn't mean that you love the right and wrong in the sense like, I, you know, you're doing wrong. You hit me in the face. Oh, I love you. You know, it can be like, wait a minute, that's not right. You're not supposed to do that. I know that you're not supposed to be doing bad things. You can unconditionally love, I mean, don't get me wrong, but that doesn't mean that it's okay for people to be doing wrong things and hurting people and hurting you and ones you love and, and raising havoc. So we need to be able to step up sometimes and stand against that happening. Right. Well, we really have to, we really have to be able to do that very consistently because it's not that much different than raising children. If we don't consistently give boundaries and clear definitions of what is acceptable behavior, children by their very nature will lack boundaries. <laughs> we have to create that. And as a society, we have to create the boundaries as well. And if we don't have a clear boundary, then all habit breaks loose. And there is no free destruction because everything that is done out of destruction is at someone's expense. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, you know, whether it's something as minimal as, and that's not even minimal, but let's talk about vandalism or something like that. You're talking about there's a massive cost to the person who's been victimized by it. But then we're also talking about people making social statements by destroying entire cities, rioting, or shootings, where somehow the death of innocence makes something okay. No, that just isn't, that's just evil. It's just evil. <laughs> <laughs>